Ah, good to see you all here this morning. It is uh, Texas-like weather, man. Is there a conditioning on? So when this uh, sweat starts to pour, just no, that's just anointing. That's just anointing. And, and, and if I, you know, start to disrobe uh, up here, don't get worried. It's only going to be this shirt. But yeah, it's, you know, I might, I might yeah, you know, come on, we're informal here. It's hot, hot. So we're in this series on the will of God, hovering over Colossians. Chapter 1, verse 9, as we're racing through the book of Colossians. Um, last week was, was uh, interesting and strange and wonderful and healing, uh, wasn't it? It was. Amen. Uh, thanks for being understanding about how there's certain messages that you give them once and that's, you can't do, it feels wrong to give it again. Um, and so I appreciate your understanding about that, but. Uh, yeah, God just, whenever we sort of give people a peekaboo into our lives and are just real about stuff, it seems like God uses it in powerful ways. As Dan was saying, you know, uh, it's when we're weak that he is strong. Sometimes Christians have this idea that we need to present this, I got it together sort of ambiance to people that helps sell Jesus, but it doesn't. Uh, people see through that right away. What uh, attracts people to Jesus is when we're real. And... Um, and then we just bear witness to the work he's doing in our life. And when we're weak, then he is strong. So praise God for that. I, I want to continue to hover on this whole idea of, of uh, God's will for us as people. Before we talk about God's will for, for what he wants us to do, we'll talk a little bit about that. But I want to talk about God's will for us as, as, uh, in terms of our personhood, which is kind of what we were talking about last week. So it's Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. This is the verse that we're looking at over and over again here this morning, or the last couple of weeks, where Paul says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. And here's what they're praying about. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Father, Give us your wisdom and understanding. Fill us with the knowledge of your will, your will that we would be a people who know who we are in you and know our worth, know it to the core of our being. God, permeate every nook and cranny of our being, every hidden place, every closet, every corridor with the knowledge of your will. And, and to see how and receive how and experience how beautiful that is, that we'd be transformed to the core of our being. It wouldn't just be a head knowledge sort of a thing. Fill us with the knowledge of your will. Fulfill this prayer of Paul's in us. And use this message this morning to move us forward in the process of doing that. Open our ears and eyes. And those who are listening through podcasts or any other means, we pray also for them that they would just, God, receive your word deeply. Let it, let it get to a level, reach a level, and transform at a level that it hasn't up to this point. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So I'm entitling this message, Who and Do. The who and the do. The who and the do. Because we've been talking about how in the last several weeks we've been talking about how God's primary will, the main, the center of God's will, is, is not about our behavior. It's about who we are. It's, it's about our identity, right? It's, it's about um, uh, the fact that God wants to be a God who who forms their identity and dwells within us and communes with, uh, with us and has this one flesh, beautiful relationship with us, this, intimacy, this intimacy with us. Before God has any will about what we do, His will is about who we are. Someone two weeks ago, after I first started talking along these lines, came up and said that their pastor used to put it 
uh, this way. Uh, it's about your who, not your do. It's, it, God's love and God's will is about your who, not your do. And I've always been a Dr. Seuss fan, so I, I, I just felt like that was a, a good way of putting it, our do uh, and our who. In fact, it inspired something in me. You know, you know I, I, I just have a lot of talents. Uh, what, you know, I, it would be bragging if it wasn't accurate, but in this case, I have to spell it. So I have all these talents, you know, and you know, I just, you know, I, I, I usually conceal them. But so I got inspired with this who and do, and I, I, I yes, actually Friday, a, a, a poem just sort of burped out of me. A poem, I write poetry. Um, it was actually the only class in college that I, I, I really bombed at. I took a class on poetry, and that's when I actually stopped writing poetry until now. And now I'm going to afflict you with it. So here's how it goes. It's a Dr. Seuss sort of a thing, but it really has a good theological point. It's called The Who and the Do of Miss Betty Lou. The Who and the Do of Miss Betty Lou. And you'll notice my little Dr. Seuss uh, uh, lookalike up there. That's Trevor Ford's creativity. <laughs> this church really can How do you do, asked the Lord of Betty Lou. Not all that well, Betty sighed with a boo-hoo. For I know you are a Lord who pays heed to what I do, yet I always let you down when I sin. It's nothing new. Said the Lord to Betty Lou, I have a word for you. My love for you, my child, is not based on what you do. It's the who and not the do that I adore in Betty Lou. And when your who believes it's true, then my will shall miss Lou do. Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, get out. Get out. It's about your who. Your who. Your personhood. Your identity. Before it's about your doing. God's primary will, the focus of his will, is centered on us becoming a certain kind of person who, who lives in the truth of who he has made us to be in Christ. The do follows out of that. What we do is an expression of our who, but you first got to get down to the who, or you'll never get around to the do. That's how it goes. Now, it seems to me that, that a, a, a major segment of Western Christianity, um, contemporary Western Christianity, reverses that. We put the do before the who. We, are, we have a do-centered Christianity. You might even call it do-ianity. Do we, it's about what we do, you know, and so if you're a true Christian, here's what you do. If you're a true Christian, here's what you don't do. And, and there's a set of behaviors and stuff like that. And God wants to use us to do certain things, this, that, and the other thing, which is all true, but that becomes the center. That, that, that's the, that, that's, we try to arrive at a who on the basis of what we do rather than having it the other way around. This is why in most discussions, most books on the will of God, when you talk about the will of God, it's almost all about what we do. It's a do-centered talk on the will of God. I bet some of you have heard dozens of sermons, maybe read dozens of books on how do you discern the will of God, and I bet 99% of them or more were all about what you do. When you have to make a decision, you know, how do you discern the will of God? And see, that, that's good stuff. We're going to get to that. We'll start to... At the second half of this message, we'll turn to talk a little bit about discerning God's will for our do. But see, if you address the question of, who, of what we're supposed to do before you're getting deep into uh, the reality of your who, well, the do is going to be all screwed up. You might say the do will be do-do. <laughs> no, no, see, the, the center is, is, is who we are. The, the center is about our identity in Christ. Uh, 
Sometimes you get the impression, when you have this dewyanity, this do-centered Christianity, you get the impression that Jesus died because God was really in need of some workers. <laughs> and so what it was all about, God so needed workers that he gave his only begotten son. Um, and, and, you know, we're useful to him carrying out his will on earth as it is in heaven, as though that was the main thing. But see, the reality is the gospel tells us that God so loved the world. He loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. And not love the world in some abstract sense, but God loves the people of the world, the individuals of the world. God loves you. Jesus died out of God's love for you. And it's about you, not your due. He, he sees intrinsic worth in you. It's not about your due. In fact, God loves you despite your due. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. And so when we look at Calvary, we've got to just lock this in, that, that God loves you. He's got a crazy love for you. Not about what you do, not about how you look, not about what you achieve. It's not that Jesus died because you're going to be such a good preacher or a good evangelist or so good at Sunday school or what have you. No, no, apart from all you do, he's got this outlandish, crazy, insect, insane, unsurpassable, unwavering, unconditional, perfect, hot, burning, crazy, out-of-the-box, insane love for you. That's the gospel right there. And his deepest will is that we would be filled with the knowledge of that. His deepest will is that we would know, know, not just part of us to know, but all of us to know. Not just the frontal lobe cortex to know, but, but the, the hidden parts to know, the scared child parts to know, the wounded parts to know, the rape parts to know, the damaged parts to know, the unbelieving parts to know, every part of our being to know. The love of God that passes all understanding. And the love he has for the who, for you intrinsically, apart from all the doing. We, 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 he wants us to know, all of us to know, in the core of our being to know. That, that we are his radiant bride, that we are the apple of his eye, that we are the passion of his heart, that he sings over us and he claps his hands over us and he dances over us. He wants us to know every, 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 every molecule in our being to know and, and receive the truth that, that, that we ravish the heart of God. He sees us as lovely. He sees us as holy. He sees us as blameless. He sees us as his precious child. He sees us as his lover. He wants us to know, every part of us to know that he's a God who wants to commune with us and, and abide in us, to get on the inside of us and to transform us from the inside out and to live life through us. He wants us to know that we could not have more value than we have in him right now apart from anything we'll ever do, apart from anything we'll ever impress him with. No, it's about our Who? And see, when that gets in the core of a person's being, when you really, when the coin drops, that you're a friend of God, when that gets down there beneath the, the abstract intellectual level, when that gets down to the core of your being, when it starts to invade the memories and starts to invade the, 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 the stuff that you've concealed, it starts to invade the stuff that is far from perfect, when it starts to permeate the deeper structures of our whole self, well, see, now... now, now, now now the whole self is coming under alignment of, of, of the kingdom. And now we're being transformed from the inside out. And you get a person, the, the extent to which we get this, really get this, that God genuinely loves us like that, apart from any doing. When you get that, well, now you start to do. You'll start to do like a crazy. You'll start to do all over the place. You're, 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 your life will just be an expression of the kingdom. But see, it comes, it comes as a consequence of this more fundamental thing happening, which is our core self being changed. When people try to change, the, you know, we, we always say, we, we, we're supposed to change the world, take the world back for Jesus Christ or America back for Jesus Christ, and that's fine. We are. But see, you, you, the first job is to take, take, take the, the three pounds of noodles between our ears back for Jesus Christ. You know, 
we got to change ourselves before we think we can ever change the world. When people try to change the world and they themselves are not changed, they just further break the world. That's the, that's the merry-go-round of the world. Uh, when broken people try to fix other people, they just break them further. No, no, no. We, we have to be whole. And I'm not saying we put on hiatus all of our social activism and outreach and stuff until we're totally whole, because it's always a process. But it does mean that the, the, the primary act of discipleship, the first act, the discipline of the Christian life, has got to be not doing something, but rather really doing nothing. The, the, the discipline is what I, what I refer to in a book called Seeing is Believing. The discipline is to learn how to rest in Christ. How to, how to just be in God's presence and do what he created you and saved you to do. And that is just to be together. To dwell with him. To abide in him and he abides in you. I like to put it this way. The first act of Christian discipleship is just to learn how to enjoy God enjoying you. He's enjoying you. Enjoy him enjoying you. As he sings and dances over you and, and puts his arms around you and has delight in you. Apart from your do. No, this is you. This is the who. And, and, and just to abide in his presence. And, and so I encourage people as a primary act of discipleship to make time, set aside time. On a regular basis, whether it's every day or whether it's once a week or however that works for you, maybe it changes over seasons. Lately, I've been, I've been involved in this a lot because I'm going through some new stuff. And then I, when, and then I find out when it clears, I, it's a little less, less intense. But to make a regular time where you are alone with Him. There's a place for corporate worship, and it's very important, but this is a time where it's about you, the who. And... and uh, I, I find it helpful to put on some, some soft, background, lyricless music. It, it's, music is one of God's gifts that helps kind of open us up. And then I encourage people to surrender your inner being, your imagination, over, over to the Lord and, and ask the Holy Spirit to make the things of God real. And spend time then in just seeing and hearing and sensing in the inner self the reality of Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit brings him to you. I talk about this in the book, Seeing is Believing. Um, and, and, uh, and just enjoy him enjoying you. And then there are times which come out of this communion, communion, union along with another, we've talked about, where, where it comes out of there where, where he'll say sometimes, let's go someplace and let's search out the heart. And he brings healing and life to the parts of you that haven't yet received it yet. And in doing this, he's integrating us. This is so foundational. All that we do, and we are supposed to be activists, radical transformers in the world. That is absolutely true. But it has to come out of a full sense of self that we have apart from all the doing. The doing is, is not to acquire some kind of worth and points and get God to like us. No, it's got to be an explosion of grace. It happens because we are being filled with the knowledge of his will. Filled. And that happens as we abide in him. Uh, a verse that's been really helping us flesh this out. Uh, it really has hit me hard, and I shared it last week a little bit, was Proverbs chapter 20, uh, verse 27. A verse I had never noticed before until I was reading Dallas Willard's great book, Hearing God. And uh, here the author says, The spirit of man, or spirit of a human, is the lamp of the Lord. It's by that by which he searches all the innermost parts of his being. Incredible passage. The spirit of a human being is the lamp of the Lord. And when we submit to, to, to the Lord, when we submit to him, we become kingdom property. We come under the dome over which he is king, right? So we are a kingdom person. And, and scripture tells us that 
then God comes and he abides with our spirit. The spirit is the innermost part of a person, deeper than our mind and our personality. That's soul. But the spirit is the, the marrow of the self. And God infuses himself with us and gives us Jesus' DNA. And we really are new creatures in Christ Jesus. And, and, and we, are, we are at that point holy and blameless. That's, the, that's our real essence. But there's parts of us, of course, in our soul, in our mind, in our memories that, that are not yet aligned up with the, the kingdom, that are still running on the autopilot of lies that we inherited from the world. And so what the Lord does, this passage tells us, is he illuminates our own spirit. It's our spirit, but he illuminates it. And then he begins to walk around with, with like a lantern, exploring the inner corridors of our, of our, our hearts. It says the, 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 the inner parts of a person's being, it has the connotations of corridors or secret chambers. And he's really saying, what he's doing is, we're with him now. This is our spirit that's illuminated. So it's a partnership. He's empowering us once again for us to take our own thoughts captive. But he does it with us and by his grace. And so he goes into the inner corridors and sheds lights on what is there, what's real. Maybe it's stuff that you didn't want to remember. Maybe it's stuff you've been trying to shut out for a long time. But he wants us to be integrated and, and whole. And you can't do that if you're just blocking stuff out. You've got to ask what is real. And he, sh- he sheds light on that. And then he brings healing and his life and his love and the gospel to every part of us. And we're now made whole. So I shared last week uh, uh, kind of what's been going on in my own life around this. Where I've had the last nine months this chronic neck pain owing to a car accident that I had that really has just aggravated a condition I've had most of my life. And, and so I'm having to deal with this, and it's been very frustrating. But it's more than that, it's been screwing up my head. It's been, something has been happening in my spirit. I've been scattered and flat and all sorts of other things. I didn't know what that was about until very recently, as I shared last week, when I'm beginning to see that it, it, the meaning of this pain is what, is, is, what is, is, is screwing me up. It's like there's something about this pain that is just drudging up some stuff in the past that has not yet been kingdomized. I thought I was thoroughly kingdomized, to tell you the truth. I, I've done some of this work before, a lot of this work, actually. Uh, I thought I was done. It's been eight years or so since I last was really dealing with some inner stuff. Um, but here it is, another layer. Rabbit hole goes down a little further, and it's drudging up this stuff. And so there's this kind of invasion in, my, in the adult Greg Boyd's life, 54-year-old guy. There's this invasion of these feelings and, and, and weirdness that, that, that are coming from someplace back there. And it had to do with the time where I first developed neck disorders and neck pain. And, uh, and so the Lord took me back and I began to look at what happened to me in second and third grade as I was hit repeatedly over the head with a family Bible by these uh, uh, teachers and, and students because uh, I was a behavioral problem. And I always had this neck problem. And, and so I, I gave an example of how the Lord can heal that. I gave several examples. One one was... was as I, in a time, I put on some music, uh, you know, three in the morning when I can't sleep, put on this music and just surrender my imagination to the Lord and just say, Lord, you know, teach me what I need to, to learn. And he, he takes the healed part of me to explore the unhealed part of me. The healed part is the spirit, the core of my being. I'm a kingdom person down, down deep in the marrow of who I am. But now he's going to go and explore the, the suke, the soul and the inner corridors. And I all of a sudden see a, a, a scene of a little boy. It's me sitting at his desk, and I know that he's just gotten hit over the head with a family Bible, and he's in a lot of pain. His neck is burning, uh, but, and, and he's, his, his seeing is fuzzy. I remember this particular episode. Uh, but he's hiding. He's, he's concealing the pain because he's, he's a tough kid, and he's a class clown, so he never cries. So he's forcing a smile like it doesn't matter. But then behind him, I see not one of these goody-two-shoe little girls. I see Jesus, and Jesus is wincing in pain. 
Because uh, he, the pain that I want to express, he's feeling. Which is, is showing me that already is collapsing a lie. Because he's, I thought I was alone. I thought I, thought I was all on my own there. And he's saying, no, 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 I, I was always there. I was on the inside of the pain. Yeah. See, he's reversing. He, God, God doesn't change the past. But he does change the meaning of the past. And, and, and so he goes in these inner quarters, changes the meaning of it. And so here's changing the meaning of it. I wasn't alone. He was always there. And then, then I see him rubbing my, my neck, just massaging my neck. As he's even then bringing healing uh, to my life. He's empathizing with where I'm at. And then he leans forward and whispers in the ear of this little boy, You are my beloved. You are my beloved. You see, that's how the healing comes about. God's first and foremost concern for us and love for us is not about our do, it's about our who. Who are we? And he wants the whole self to be integrated, healed, restored. And so I encourage us to spend time regularly where we invite him to do that. We just enjoy him enjoying us, and out of that communion will come healing. It's important to note that the the communication, the revelation, and the healing come out of two things. One is the union of his spirit with our spirit. That's the Proverbs verse. We together are doing this. You really are doing something, but he's the one who's illuminating you and empowering you to do it. So there's a union, and out of that union, by means of the imagination usually, which is just our ability to sense and see and hear and experience things internally. That's all imagination is. But by that means, he reveals to us the truth about our who. And in doing that, we grow deeper and deeper in the direction of being filled with the knowledge of his will. He wants every dark corridor of your being every jaded memory, every lie that you believe, every secret that you've ever kept, it's got to be invaded with the knowledge of God's will. And God's will for you is expressed on Calvary. His love for you is expressed on Calvary. Our job is to let him illuminate our spirit and start walking in those scary places. It can be scary at first, especially if you spend a lifetime forgetting about it. And sometimes as you commune with God, all of a sudden there'll be stuff that just pops in there. I mean, stuff you didn't even remember. The first time this ever happened to me, it was something I had never, never remembered. I had to go check with my older sister. Did this actually happen? And uh, it didn't happen exactly the way I, I was experiencing it. That's, that's kind of normal, but it did happen. And that's when the, you know, the, the avalanche began to be uncorked. And I got in touch with a whole lot of stuff. Give God space to move in and to start exploring the corridors of your soul. So it's out of union with our soul and by means of our imagination. Now, it's important to remember that. That's how we know the, the, his, the, his will for our who. But it's also the primary way that we know His will for our do. And we're going to start to transition to this. We'll pick up this more uh, in, in weeks to come. But we're going to talk about God. How do we discern God's will for what we do? That always should come out of our, the reality of our knowing who we are. But there's a doing that flows out of this. It means that, it means that to discern the will of God in most cases at least. It's going to be important to remember that it's something that takes place in us. It's God using our spirit it's, and our imagination. It will be our sense of seeing and our sense of hearing and our sense of sensation. And that's the main way that he communicates his will to us about what we do, about how he wants to lead us and guide us. Many people, I think especially in Western culture, where we tend to be externally focused anyways, but we tend to... Uh, Look outside of ourselves to discern the will of God. It's like God's voice is out there somewhere and we're trying to hear it. And, and, and so it's something that's supposed to come at us. We, we tend to be just externally oriented. 
And so a lot of people try to discern the will of God, sort of reading the circumstances of their life. What, what, what's God trying to say to us? What's God trying to say to me? And, and uh, if something happens, a coincidence of some sort, three people who are blonde in a row say hi to you. What does that mean? <laughs> what's God trying to say? No, you guys, you, you can giggle, but we've all done this, I, I bet, to some degree. You know, we, 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 we kind of play tarot cards with the circumstances of our life. It's a form of divination. Mm, it's like reading a poem. Oh, yeah, what I see here is... Uh, yeah, we, we, we. Uh, yeah, we, we do the same thing only with, with uh, the, the circumstances of our life. I was on my way to a concert. And I got a flat tire. What does it mean? Maybe God doesn't want me to go to the concert. I don't know. I, I, I got fired from the job, or I didn't get the job, or I did get the job, or I lost my job the same week that my dog died. What does it mean? What's God trying to say to me? And, and we're trying to divine. It's a form of divination, really. Trying to divine the sign, you know, like the cryptogram. It's like reading a horoscope. Mm, God, what are you trying to say? Because you've got a real huge speech impairment. And so you're hard to really hear. And, and, and people do a lot of crazy stuff on this. It's like, oh, here, I think I was trying to say this. Because, you know, the devil can manipulate circumstances, too. And there's a whole lot of free will going on. So it's a very, very iffy thing to, to go about discerning the will of God that way. And even worse, probably, are, are those who sometimes... Uh, you know, play these little games with God where uh, you make deals, you know, uh, or, or set out the terms. God, I tell you what, if, if your job, if you really believe that I'm supposed to marry her, well, then she'll call in the next 10 minutes. Otherwise, it's done. As though she has no free will on whether she wants to call you or not. You know, but we, we lay out these terms as though we assume that God is going to agree to them. What makes us think that God's going to go, okay, I have to now, and, and also take control of her to give a call because he wants you guys to get married? I, no, 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 no. See, that way of thinking really is, if you study pagan religion, it's as old as paganism itself. This is how pagans divine the will of God. Um, you know, you read, read Homer or read, read uh, Cicero and on the gods and, you know, and whatever. You'll find that they used to, uh, they had all these forms of divination. Uh, the Delphi Oracle, or they'd look at how the birds were flying, you know, and, and, and that would always mean something, or how trees were bending, that would mean something. Sometimes they cut open animals, and depending on how their guts spilled on the ground, they would read the, read the intestines. Mmm, what I'm seeing here is this. And, and all these little gimmicky ways of trying to discern the will of God. And you know, God is so loving that there are times where if that's what he's got to work with, he'll do it. He'll stoop to that level. And so you find God even in the Old Testament. They try to discern the will of God the way all the pagans do. You know, they've got this uh, Urim and Thummim. It's a little peep stone. And depending on how the light reflects on the things, it tells you the will of God. Ooh. And then they've got, they roll the dice once in a while. Come on, like you said, well, God, what's your will? Um, and they draw straws. You know, they, they have these weird ways. And God actually condescends to working with that. Okay, if this is where you're at, uh, once in a while he'll do that. Yeah, he'll do that. Gideon's with his silly little fleece, throwing his fleece out there. Well, I want it to be wet and dry. Dry and wet. Wet and dry. And see, it's a... Uh, and so God, God says, okay, I'll go along with this game. But that's not his ideal. That's not his ideal. He's a God who loves... If you want to know what God's like and what his will is like and how he likes to communicate, you look to Jesus Christ. And what Jesus reveals is a God. Look at this. How does God reveal himself? He doesn't like come at us. Uh, no, when, 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 he, when he wants to reveal who he really is, what his will really is, what his heart really is like, and he does that in Jesus. Look what he does. God becomes a human being. He becomes us. 
He takes on our humanity. And then on Calvary, he takes on our sin. He gets on the inside of us. He's a God who loves to get on the inside. Even when the inside is mucky, and that's what Calvary is all about. He gets on the inside of our sin and the inside of the consequences for our sin. In other words, he gets on the inside of our hell. And the process of being on the ins- united with us and on the inside, that's when he reveals what he's really like, what his heart's really like, what his character's really like. He's a God who likes to get low and small and intimate and on the inside. And that's what he does with our spirit. He comes in and, and, and he creates intimacy. He unites himself uh, with us in the core of our being. And then using the core of our being and our imagination and all that's there, now he begins to reveal himself and reveal his will for us. But it comes out of that still, small voice on the inside. Yes, God will sometimes speak in bizarre ways and condescend to working through our little magical gimmicks. But his ideal way is, is that still, small voice. It, 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 it's revealed by what we sense, what we hear, what we say, what we feel on the inside, on the inside. That's how God directs. It's a, it's a very subtle, still, small voice. Which means two things, and I'll close with this. Two things, two implications from this. Number one, it means we've got to pay attention. We've got to pay attention. We've got to pay attention to what's going on on the inside of us. God's will is not going to be obvious until we're trained and I'm picking it up. It'd be easy if it was just a giant head in the sky, a Monty Python you know, head that shows up. We would think it'd be obvious, so I bet it wouldn't be. I bet we'd find a way of explaining that away if we didn't want to hear it. But, uh, no, but see, he, he speaks in this gentle voice. Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, that the good soldier does not become involved in or could be preoccupied with civilian affairs, but is always seeking to please his uh, commanding officer. Paul is looking at the Roman guards in his day, uh, the soldiers that were stationed in Palestine, and these guards were there to carry out the Roman law. This is how Rome did things. They made every conquered country a police state, and so they would have their, police, their, 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 their forces there, make sure that riots didn't happen, that people were obeying the laws, and that they, they could collect taxes. And Paul looks at these soldiers, and he says, you know, those guys, here's the thing. They know that they don't belong in Palestine. They know that they're not Jews. This isn't their homeland. So they don't get too involved in the affairs of the homeland, the discussions and the debates of the homeland and all of that. No, that's not their business. Their business is to please their commanding officer. So, and this is a little anachronistic, but they always have their walkie-talkies on. Whatever, you know, they have to go to the market once in a while to buy food. That's a civilian affair. But they don't get, like, so defined by civilian affairs that they forget to have their walkie-talkie on. What's my commanding officer want today? What does my commanding officer want now? So also, Paul is saying, to be a kingdom person. As we know who we are, and that who becomes real to us, what becomes clearer that that has to affect our doing. As you know who you are, you know that you're, you belong to the kingdom, a kingdom that's not of this world. As you know who you are, you know that you have one master, and his name is Jesus Christ, none other. As you know who you are, you realize that you're called to live in a different way and carry out a different program. As you know who you are, you, you understand that your job is to bring about God's will on earth as it is in heaven by any means possible, and that God wants to lead you and direct you. So as we know who we are, Paul is saying, don't be overly involved in civilian affairs, but rather always keep your walkie-talkie on. Uh, listen for the voice of your commanding officer. Now, we've all got to do civilian affairs, right? We've all got to go shopping, pay bills, uh, you know, fix the house, a lot of civilian affairs. But what Paul is saying is, is, is don't let those define you moment by moment, but rather, since you know who you are, keep your ear cupped to your commanding officer. It means we've got to be paying attention. Sometimes it's very, very subtle. Jim, would you come up here for a second? Come up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
This is a great guy. I love this guy. I love his Hawaiian shirts. He looked very, very tropical. Very, 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 very tropical. Now, let me ask you a question. When you first came up here, did you notice anything when you first stood up here? I was watching the steps so I wouldn't trip. Okay, he was watching the steps so he wouldn't trip. Now, pay attention right now. You know what? Did you notice anything? Yeah, you tapped my shoulder. I tapped your shoulder three times. What's interesting is I tapped your shoulder three times when you first got up here, but you didn't notice it. Why was that, you think? I was paying attention to the steps. Yeah. All right, give me a hand. That was a great illustration. <laughs> See, here's the thing. The thing is that uh, as, as Jim's coming up here, he's thinking, what is this? This is weird. Is he going to try to embarrass me? What's the deal here? And he's looking at the steps. He don't want to trip and fall. That'd be kind of embarrassing in front of all these people. Who wouldn't be thinking about that? Okay, so he, his mind is preoccupied. He gets up here. I tap him three times, but he doesn't notice that. But then as soon as I ask him to kind of pay attention, he notices that. See, that's how God speaks. It's, it's a little nudge. It's, he does, he's not a pushy God. Uh, he wants us to seek him. He, wa- he wants to cultivate this intimate relationship. So there's a little nudge, a little nudge. But see, if we are preoccupied 24-7, moment by moment, with the civilian affairs, we're not going to feel the nudge. We need to be a people. Take this home. Holy Spirit, help us to remember this. Who are, whatever else we're doing, we keep our ear cupped to, to, to what's going on in our heart. Pay attention to the nudges, the impression, the feelings, sensations. Knowing that God wants to still talk to us. He talks to us, I believe, every day. We've just lost the art of listening. And then when there's a nudge, well, then, you know, you reserve a space to feel the nudge. When you, there's a nudge, you respond to it, which leads to my last point. Be okay with uncertainty. Embrace uncertainty. Here's what I'm getting at. Um, I mean, there's really two extremes that people can, can go to. They, they tend to one of two extremes. On the one hand, you'll find some people in some religious circles who are pretty certain that almost everything they think is God. Have you met some of them? They're delightful people. God bless them. But they don't have to say, I think that we should. It's rather the Lord says. Uh, they're, just, they're just convinced that, that you know, them and Jesus are synonymous. And as you're looking at it, you can see that it's pretty clear that they just like to get their way and they're using God to get their way, even though they're sincere in what they're doing. But, but you know, it'd be kind of ironic that God happens to agree with you on everything. But that, that's how it works. The Lord says. And it's really makes debating them or having any kind of discussion difficult because how do you argue with God? It's very hard, really. So that's one extreme. On the other extreme, and this is where I think more of us tend to be, it's certainly where I tend to be, you have folks who never consider the possibility that anything that they think or feel or sense or anything that gets stirred up in them, that any of it could be of God. And this second group, which is, I think, the majority of us, tend to live in this kind of question. If... uh, if, 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 God, if God speaks to us out of this union with our spirit, okay, so it's my spirit talking, but God talking through that, and if God uses my own imagination, my own inner world, my own voice, my own images, my own impressions, whatever, how the heck do you ever know when it's God or not God? It's all fused together. How, who, who can know this sort of thing? Uh, and then we become sort of hyper-analytic with the whole thing and maybe sometimes even give up, especially those of us who come from maybe abusive or kind of wacko, hyper-charismatic backgrounds where we've had to deal a lot with those first class of people who think that everything they think and feel is of God. Well, we kind of go to this other extreme. It's like, I don't want any of that wackoness, and we tend to associate it with wackoness, so now we shut down. Trouble is, when you shut down, you turn the walkie-talkie off, and now you're going to live your life as a functional atheist because God can never talk to you. No, no, see, here's the thing. I, I, I will admit that I am hardly ever, if ever, certain that something I have, an impression, a word, an image, a picture, whatever, I'm hardly ever certain it's of God. But it doesn't bother me anymore. Who cares? I ask one question. One question and one question only. It's, and it's this. 
Is this nudge that I'm feeling on the inside, is this nudge the kind of nudge that Jesus would give? I know Jesus pretty well, and I know who I am in Christ uh, pretty well. And so given that, is this a nudge in this direction, is this the kind of nudge that Jesus would give? Um, if, I act, if I act on this nudge, will it be a loving thing? Will it be a kingdom-building thing? And if the answer to that is yes, or even most likely yes, I act on it. I go for it. Uh, why, why hesitate any longer? Because here's the way I figure it. Even if that nudge, or what I thought was a nudge, even if that's not God's specific will, God wasn't the one nudging me, even if he, he, he wasn't the one nudging me, it was still a loving thing to do. So it's still within his general will. It certainly wasn't against his will. It is his will that I live in love as Christ loved me and gave his life for me. So even if he wasn't the one telling me to do it, it was good that I did it. It still puts a smile on his face. We're cool. You see? But on the other hand, if I feel this nudge and I wait, and it is of God, but I am hesitant because I'm not certain it's of God, then I will never get around to hearing the voice of God and obeying God. Uh, and, and those nudges, there's, there's, there's windows of opportunity. You know, that person's over there. It's only, only over there for eight seconds. We need to respond in the moment. Uh, and we'll, we'll just miss it. If we're getting all introspective and analytic or whatever, if it's, if, if it's a kingdom kind of thing, a loving kind of thing, I encourage you to go for it. Even if it's a little bit weird. Even if it, so what? We're too addicted to normal. We're supposed to be odd. It's supposed to be unusual. Yeah, people are like, well, why are you so friendly? Or why are you giving me this $100 bill? That happened to me just a little while ago. I, 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 it's fun to freak people out in loving ways. Um, but if you look at the, go with it. Take some risks. Step out. You know, step out. And the worst case scenario is you're out $100 or whatever you just gave away. And uh, you did a loving thing. That's not that bad. That's not that bad. So pay attention. Uh, as we're going through this, this, this uh, series, as we leave this place, uh, I, I encourage you to spend time, quality time, putting on some music and, and, and just dwelling with God, dwelling with Jesus, letting him love on you. Uh, enjoy him enjoying you. And then, and that addresses your who. And then as we're living our life, let him speak to our do. And pay attention to the little nudges, the promptings uh, that are in your heart. And if it's, if, if, it's, if it's in the direction of the kind of thing that Jesus would do, then I don't think anymore. Just act on it. Act on it. Over time, you begin to maybe notice a little bit better uh, what, what seems to be of God, what isn't of God. But either way, it's a loving thing to do. And I encourage you to live in love as Christ loved you and gave his life for you. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come up. And if you're here this morning and have any need whatsoever that you'd like to have prayed for, I, I really encourage you to do that. These folks are, everything you say and share is confidential. It will go nowhere. They'll take it to the grave. Uh, and, and it really is a blessing resource that, that we should be taking advantage of. Fathers, we leave this place. I pray, Lord God, that we would be a people who spend time with you, on dates with you, enjoying you, enjoying us. I pray, Lord God, that you'd remind us of the importance of that. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who are not overly involved in civilian affairs. But, God, that we're always seeking first the kingdom, which means we create space in our heart moment by moment to listen to you, to hear you, and to respond to you as we seek to obey your voice moment by moment in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you. Go out and fill the kingdom.